hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm? What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. While up to 70% of postmenopause women have vaginal or vulvar changes, which lead to difficulty with sexual function, for many couples, that is far from the whole story. All too often, when I ask my patients if they would like to treat their inability to have pleasurable intercourse, they say, what's the point? My guy has just as many problems as I have. And in those cases, I refer men who are motivated to repair their problem penis to a urologist who specializes in male sexual health. Today, I'm joined by just such an expert. Dr. Rachel Rubin is not only a board-certified urologist, but she's one of only a handful of physicians with specific training in sexual medicine for both men and women. She's authored many scientific articles and book chapters, and I've had the pleasure of sharing the podium with her many times. So welcome, Dr. Rubin. It It is my absolute honor, and I am the biggest fan in the world, and it's just, it's so fun to be here. We've been talking about it for quite some time. We have been, and I've really been looking forward to this conversation because among other reasons, you know, I never get to talk about penises. I'm a gynecologist, so it doesn't come up too often, so to speak. So for me, this is going to be educational for me as well. You know, so often when I interview someone, I mean, quite frankly, I know as much about it as as they do, and I just want to get their point of view. But this is a true case of interviewing an expert who knows things that I have no clue. So Let's start. Let's start with erectile dysfunction, the uh, uncooperative penis. Um, just start by talking a little bit about how common is it, what what causes it. You know, what does a woman need to know? What does a yeah, woman need to know? You know, I think it's really, really important because as we get older, our bodies change, right? We're not 19 anymore and everything's changing. Our eyesight changes and our back pain changes and all sorts of things happen. High cholesterol, high blood pressure. Your doctor's always yelling at you to eat right and exercise and don't smoke and don't drink and don't get cancer. Um, but they don't often talk to you about it in terms of your sexual health. And I always joke that I can get a lot more guys to quit smoking because I tell them what it does to their penis as opposed to what it does to heart disease and cancer. And so as every Every decade we get older, the increase in erectile dysfunction goes up. So I like to say 50% of 50-year-olds, 60% of 60-year-olds. You know, when I see a 75-year-old in my clinic who said, gosh, this just started two years ago, I tell him how lucky he is and how this is very common. That doesn't mean there's not things that we can do about it, but it's very common. As we get older, you know, the erections change. And so what my job as a urologist is making it, I, I like to biologicalize people, you know, for all genders and really get them to understand their biology. And then we can uh, sort of uh, tweak it to say, how can we improve the biology and get a better quality of life going? You know, I think it's so important to differentiate between common and normal. And very often someone will say, well, this is what happens when you get older. And my answer is the same as yours. Well, yes, it does happen. And this is common, but it doesn't mean this should happen or needs to happen or that we can't fix it. 
Well, think, right, and you, you have to make people understand, right? If I took your thyroid out for thyroid cancer, we would put you on thyroid medicine forever, right? If I, uh, I, if I took your glasses off or my contacts out, neither of us would be able to see anything and we would not be productive members of society. Thank goodness for technology and for science and medicine that we can wear eyeglasses and contact lenses and can see. And so the same goes for sexual health is can we use technology, medications, and modern science to say, hey, how can we maximize your quality of life. And there is no age with which people do not want to keep living uh, sexual thoughts, uh, sexual pleasure, orgasm, right? Those are things, if you can have those, typically you get pretty annoyed when they go away. Absolutely. I always say the, the people who predictably want to keep having sex when they get older, are the people they had good sex when they were younger. Yeah. So you mentioned heart disease and other medical illnesses. So in terms of who's at greater risk, I mean, any man can get erectile dysfunction. I think we've established that. But certainly some men are at greater risk than other men. So who would you put at the top of the list for the men who are at the greatest risk? Yeah. So I always like to tell guys in order to have a healthy penis, you have to have three things, healthy muscle, healthy nerves and healthy arteries. And so anything that affects muscles, nerves, and arteries can affect your penis. And so when you get older and you develop metabolic syndrome or cardiovascular issues, uh, think of uh, uh, pipes getting clogged, okay? I always say, what, what clogs first at home? Your small pipes or your big pipes? The small pipes are always gonna clog first. And so we see erectile dysfunction happen earlier than we see heart attacks happen. So if you have a guy who's already had a heart attack, well, the big pipes is already clogged. You know, the arteries to the penis are one millimeter in size. They're tiny. The heart arteries are three millimeters in size. And so we really see that um, anything that can affect, so high cholesterol can clog pipes. Uh, high blood pressure can clog pipes, right? Anything that clogs arteries uh, can clog the penis arteries, which can affect the blood flow and the erectile function. So anything, right. diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea is a big one. All of those things can increase your risk of erectile dysfunction. You know, I, I don't know penises, but I do know clitorises, and there are some similarities there. And certainly when you look at what keeps nerve endings healthy in the clitoris, it's blood flow. You've got to have decent blood flow, and it's those teeny tiny little blood vessels, the capillaries that are all important. And it's diabetics, diabetics that have the biggest problem with that. Yeah. Um, and certainly when I talk about women who have difficulty with orgasm, very often the diabetics are at the top of the list. So if you were well, to, could you make that same well, analogy well, with, with the penis? Uh, so, so the clitor and, and sorry to cut you off there, the clitoris and the penis are exactly the same thing. If you slice right. them and dice them, they look the same under the microscope. And I learned from you, it was actually a lecture I saw you give this amazing lecture many years ago on vibrators and, and the, the history of vibrators. I'll never forget <laughs> yeah. that lecture. It's a fabulous I'll have to lecture. do a podcast on that Misha, one. It's it's inc you're incredible, right? Incredible lecture. And, and uh, just like the clitoris loves vibration because it's all in internal. The penis loves vibration too. It just hasn't tried it on so much. And we don't often talk about devices for men. So for example, if you have a guy with erectile dysfunction and diabetes and things like that, I will often prescribe devices to enhance the pleasure and the sensation. And often their female partners uh, uh, um, uh, get benefit from it as well. And so I do believe if we can make, if we can make sexual aid devices cool for men, how many women would benefit uh, from that? Everybody, you know, win, everybody win. would benefit. All right. So since you brought it up, when we think in terms of a vibrator for a guy, 
there was actually years ago, it's no longer around, but there was a vibrator intended for men who had erectile dysfunction. It was called the Furticare vibrator, which you probably never heard it's of because you're young. They have a new version, which is called the Vibrect. They, yeah, there's one. But at the time, one. it was by prescription only. Mm-hmm. I mean, how crazy is that? But my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the the way to use a man should use the vibrator is to put it at the base of the penis. Like even though guys have a lot of sensation in the head of the penis, that when it comes to vibra- vibration, is am I wrong? It on depends. That? You're you're not necessarily wrong. You know, I would say just like in the female sex tech has exploded, and there are so many cool devices and different technologies out there for the clitoris. Similarly, uh, the technology for male devices has exploded, and so there just like some people, women have different pleasures. Some people like anterior vaginal wall stimulation. Some people like it on their vulva. Some people like it directly on their clitoris. Some people like rectal stimulation. The same goes for men too, right? There are men who need that shaft uh, stimulation. There are men, you know, we think orgasm actually comes from the muscles behind your scrotum. So in that perineum, it's a called the bulbospongiosis muscle. So some men like perineal vibration, some men like, you know, anal sex or prostate stimulation, or even something that vibrates against their prostate that can give them that sexual pleasure. I have patients who only orgasm orgasm when their glands or the head of their penis is, is stroked in a certain way. And so I think the answer is, uh, it depends on what you like and you have to try a few different things to kind of see what you like and it doesn't make you weird and it doesn't make you abnormal. And sometimes you like things that you've never tried before. And, um, it doesn't necessarily mean large things about your sexual orientation or what you care about. Like sometimes the sensation just feels good. Not to mention all the fun you can have experimenting to find out what works best. Let's let's talk about drugs for a second in terms of erectile dysfunction, um, because we all know that, first of all, it was um, Pfizer. I talk about this in my first podcast, actually, in, in terms of the disparity between male and female sexual health, which, Rachel, you and I talked about so many times. But the reason that the term erectile dysfunction even got out there was because Pfizer, who were the developers of Viagra, had good reason for that term to get out there so men could go and comfortably ask their, their doctors for a prescription. So so let's talk about sildenafil, which is the uh, the generic name for, for Viagra and Cialis. Does it always work? You know, it works. It's a, it, it was revolutionary. It was revolutionary into helping men. And it sort of got discovered by accident. You know, the story is very mm-hmm. fascinating. Like right? most things. Yeah. It, like most things. It was a blood pressure medicine. You know, it didn't work that well. They're about to throw it in the garbage. And a couple brave souls raised their hand and were like, uh, we had the best erections of our lives. This was amazing. And they literally took it out of the garbage can and sort of made it a thing and and discovered how good it was for erections. And actually it's because of that, uh, as you know, a female sexual medicine as a field was born because all the women started calling and saying, Hey, what do you got for us? What do you have for us? And so we started studying it, you know, 20 years ago. So we're about 20 years. It's even worse than what have you got for us? It was, Oh my God, I have a man who's walking around with this erection every single day. And I, you know, I thought I was off the hook because pain. It's so painful. It's so awful. So help, help, help or steal his pills, one or the other. Absolutely. And so, so we, we both know that quite well. And so what is Viagra and Cialis and, you know, Levitra, these medicines, they're just muscle relaxers. They relax the smooth muscle of the penis. Okay. The penis is muscle. It relaxes the muscles so that blood can flow through and it can expand and get big and hard. They're not magic. They're not man pills. They're not, you know, uh, uh, um, it's not a hormone. It's it's not not a hormone. It is literally just a muscle relaxer. And so if you say, honey, you know, I got to go take my 
muscle relaxer, it feels a lot easier than saying, oh my gosh, I have to take my magic man pill, right? And so if the muscles are healthy and the nerves are healthy and the arteries are healthy, the pills are going to work better. You know, the pills have been shown to work in about 80% of people who take them, but they don't work for everybody. And I think the important thing there is that we have a lot of things um, in addition to pills that sometimes can provide a more localized muscle relaxation, which we can talk about. But um, certainly the pills work very well for a lot of people, but because they're muscle relaxers, sometimes you get side effects, headaches, flushing, um, runny nose, uh, indigestion. We see a lot of muscle aches because you're relaxing muscles in other parts of your body. So I think this is tip number one for the the women that are listening is stop calling it your magic man pill and start calling it your muscle relaxer. Before we leave erectile dysfunction, so to speak, and move on to something else. So this is a dilemma that comes up all the time. You know, my patients are great and they are responsible and they are phenomenal. And when I have a woman who's 50 plus and she's out there newly single and we talk about safe sex and protection against sexually transmitted infections. And she says, of course, I'm going to use a condom. Absolutely, I'm going to use a condom. And then she actually gets out there and finds that she's dating a guy who's in his 60s or, or older. And the minute he puts the condom on, the party is over. And then she has the, the dilemma of, all right, well, do I just assume he's a nice guy and, and go without the condom? And I always say, no, the nice guys are the ones that have had a lot of sex with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, the guy that's not a nice guy is probably a whole lot safer. But so my question to you is, a strategy for the man who says, I can't use a condom because I will lose my erection. What's your, what's your response to that? So you could certainly send him to the urologist to find erection aids because who wouldn't have fun, you know, getting erection stronger and harder and, and enjoy that part of the, the activities. And then the other idea is you can have great sex without penetration, right? Uh, you can have awesome, men can have great orgasms. Women can have great orgasms. Everyone can have pleasure without penetration, which is better right. for sexually transmitted diseases. I think we don't use female condoms enough, to be honest. I think it's, Absolutely. A, a perfect, it's a perfect uh, sort of, um, uh, um, um, the word. So when everyone agrees, like it's a, it's a workaround. So if you put a female condom in, it adheres to the walls of the vagina and it doesn't constrict the penis the same way. And it should work just as well. And the penis, you know, add some lubricant, the penis should uh, have pleasure uh, with it. And so I I think um, there are workarounds. I think female condoms is a very interesting and good workaround. Well, the other, um, uh, Benefit to a female condom, of course, is not only everything that you've just described, but because it's a sheath that goes inside the vagina and then essentially goes over the vulva, it also gives a woman even more protection against sexually transmitted infections. And we're going to save this for another podcast, but to talk about what happens, you know, in terms of the woman who's out there and is suddenly being exposed to herpes and genital warts and HPV and all of this, a condom, a male condom is not going to protect you, but a female condom will. We need to get those to be cool. Like that should be a goal. I know. It's that's a that's a challenge. All right. So now we're gonna switch from the uncooperative penis that doesn't get hard enough or stay hard long enough to the penis that um, triggers a little bit too quick. And let's talk a little bit about premature ejaculation. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about that. And also a lot of cases we're talking about not just older guys, but but young guys as well. 
Yeah. So premature ejaculation uh, is, is a couple things. There's a medical problem called premature ejaculation, and it's typically diagnosed as somebody who orgasms within a minute or less and is bothered by it. But if we gave every man in the world a stopwatch, let's say every heterosexual man in the world in a, a stopwatch, and he entered a vagina and he orgasmed and you stopped the stopwatch, about average is about five and a half minutes, which means it is normal for men to last on average five and a half minutes. If you do the same study, and they did this, uh, and you give women a stopwatch, guess what happens? Takes about 14 minutes, and also 17% of the people who are surveyed never orgasmed, and penetration is not sufficient for most women to orgasm, as we all know. Like 80%. Like 80%. Yeah. And so it's a timing issue. And so the, the five and a half minutes of penetration for a man is not necessarily going to be enough to please any female partner because of timing and the way that the clitoris is anatomically structured. And so the key there is conversations, communication, getting your partner what is the piece that gives everybody pleasure. And if you want to last longer, there's nothing wrong with wanting your sexual experience and your intimacy to last longer. That's a good thing. Is it a medical condition? Maybe not a diagnosed premature ejaculation, but if someone comes to me and say, Hey, Ruben, what do you got to make me last longer? Well, sure. We've got tools in our toolbox, none of them perfect, but sometimes if you use them all together can work quite well. And so the Viagra's and Cialis, if there's an underlying erection problem, sometimes those can help you last longer. There are numbing sprays. So one of the most popular ones is called Promescent. And that website has a lot of good devices for, for uh, couples as well, but it's a numbing spray that you can put all over your penis and can help kind of make you last longer because it's not as sensitive. Um, there are actually people will use antidepressants, just like we know antidepressants have sexual side effects like delayed orgasm. In this case, who doesn't love a delayed orgasm? Right. I had a great patient. Uh, he was about 76. He came to see me for very bothersome premature ejaculation. We started him on this daily low dose uh, antidepressant for his uh, premature ejaculation. He came back a couple months later. He said, Dr. Rubin, you've saved my life. My life is so much better. I am so happy. Like my partner's so happy. He's like, I'm like a kid in the candy store. He said, and, and by the way, everyone says I'm a nicer guy to be around, right? I, and so it was like treating many kind of a low lying depression, which is not why we put him on this medication. So um, synergistically, there are different medications that you can try. And I believe kind of doing things together can be helpful. There are yeah. some things in development, like with the FDA and stuff, but nothing that's been a home run. Um, and it can be very, very uh, distressing. I think you missed the most important thing of all is make sure that your partner, your female partner has an orgasm first. And then if you come quickly, it's win-win. She's not going to mind. The guy shouldn't mind. Absolutely. I think, no, no, no. And I think, again, is how we define sex is very yeah. backwards, right? This idea that foreplay should be stricken from the language, that her orgasm is just as, if it's, we're talking heterosexual sex, her orgasm yeah. is just as important as yours. And this is actually a theory of mine, you know, so women are capable of multiple orgasms. And so why is the ratio often zero female orgasm to one male orgasm? It should be three to one, right? Three female right. orgasms to one male orgasm. Or more, absolutely. Or more, right? I have a theory that women, and this is only my Dr. Rubin's theory here, we have to scientifically prove it, that women who easily orgasm from penetration, okay, have premature ejaculation. 
women who can easily orgasm from penetration have a very sensitive clitoris and the slightest touch, the slightest movements, the slightest expansion of that tissue, boom, they orgasm. And in a woman, it is seen as the greatest thing in the entire world. And in a man, it seems it seemed as like the worst thing that could ever happen. That's my theory. And we have to prove it with science. Okay. So I agree that we have to prove it with science. An interesting theory. My understanding of women that actually are able to orgasm with vaginal penetration more often than not are women who get clitoral stimulation during penetration. And these are the women who just anatomically have a clitoris, which is a little bit closer to the urethra, to the vaginal opening. And that has been proven, you know, that's, there's been a couple studies that actually measure the distance between the urethra and the clitoris in a woman. And if it's less than, was it two centimeters or three centimeters are the women that are more likely to orgasm. So I think maybe a combination of both things. Absolutely. No, I think it's true, right? Like, just like for some guys, if you rub the inside of their thighs, they're not going to orgasm. But if they have really sensitive tissue and the slightest touch, boom, they have an orgasm. I think it's something similar. It's a very small percentage of penis owners. And I think it's a small percentage of people with clitorises who are able to sort of have that intense, uh, very light um, stimulation can sort of put them over the edge. So it would be very interesting to prove that. So fascinating. We clearly need to be doing more studies on this. Why does the penis always wake up in the middle of the night? Great question. Remember, it's muscle relaxation. When are you the most relaxed? When in you're the sleeping. middle of the night. That REM sleep where you get that really deep relaxation. That is So it's sort of like uh, it's God's way of stretching the penis so that it can expand and relax, you know, regardless of if you're using it or not. And it is that muscle relaxation when you are asleep and your parasympathetic system has taken over that you get those middle of the night erections. And so often when we're talking to guys with erectile dysfunction, we are um, talking about, oh, do you get nighttime erections? Do you get early morning erections? In the morning, your testosterone is at its highest. And so sex is always better in the morning for both genders. Everyone's well-rested. Everyone's hormones are uh, much yeah. higher. And so society has sort of ruined us in thinking that it should be date night and, and nighttime sex. Right. Yeah, You know, that's such an important point because very often the fixes are so simple. And sometimes it's as simple as when people say, I have no libido or I just, you know, I can't get aroused. And it may be as simple as saying, okay, set your alarm 30 minutes early. And this should be an early morning thing. I think that's one of the the nicest things that that happens during retirement for a lot of older couples is they tell me, you know, sex is so much better. And when I kind of, you know, do the deep dive into why that is, it turns out is because they've changed it from nighttime sex to early morning sex or afternoon sex. So there's that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It all makes sense. All right, let's get a little more serious now and talk about some conditions that are not so easily fixable, um, like cancer. And when we talk about the cancers that you deal with, we have, of course, penile cancer, we have testicular cancer, prostate cancer, of those, they all affect sexual function, of course, but but prostate is by far the most common, correct? Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, the first question I have for you is prior to diagnosis, is sexual dysfunction in a man ever a hint that there is a prostate cancer lurking? And, you know, the first thing I think is, oh my God, something's wrong with me. And they usually don't think diabetes or heart disease. They think cancer. 
So yeah. how yeah. often is that the case? So not usually, you know, uh, the nerves to the erections live on the side of the prostate. And so um, usually a, a prostate cancer is usually starts very localized. And usually if there are no symptoms, which is very frustrating because that's why we do screening. That's why we test people and we tell you to go to the doctor every couple of years. Um, and so it usually has to be the, it, certainly very, very advanced or, uh, prostate cancer. You can see problems with erections, but it usually is not the first sign. Usually we worry more about heart disease and, and diabetes and things like that. Um, I think that that's sort of um, uh, it's it's not usually a signal that there is a cancer going on, though prostate cancer is very common as men get older, which is why it is very important to get checked out uh, mm-hmm. to make sure you don't have a, um, an, a, a, a worrisome prostate cancer. So a lot of guys, of course, who are diagnosed and they go through treatment and that treatment may be surgical, it may be chemotherapy, it may be radiation. Um, and, and understanding that there's huge, huge variability in terms of the sexual effects that someone might have depending on the treatment and the stage and, um, you know, whatever complications they might have. Can you just give some general statements, talk a little bit about what most men can expect after prostate cancer treatment? Yeah, and I think it's really important to say that you need a team around you. If you if you are a prostate cancer patient or a married or dating or with or love a prostate cancer patient, I think it's really important to know that not one doctor can be everything for that person. Just like breast cancer patients, like yeah. not one doctor can do everything. And I think working with someone who can focus on the quality of life issues, whether it's the urinary side effects or the sexual side effects that happen with different prostate cancer treatments is really important. And also to know like, yes, we're glad you're alive, but we have to keep you living and keep your quality of life as optimized as possible. And so you deserve erections, you deserve orgasms, you deserve what you want out of your sex life. And so it really, you know, there are different things that, that, that can happen. Radiation certainly can worsen erections over time, can increase like bladder urgency and things like that. Surgery sometimes can worsen erections and sometimes they can get a little bit better, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so we use our arsenal of tools to help with erections, whether it's pills, injections, uh, vacuum pumps. Uh, We even do penile prosthesis surgery where we implant the balloons inside the penis that inflate and deflate and can give a a very good erection. And I do find, you know, and this is something that you talk about a lot on your podcast is as men are going through prostate cancer treatment, they don't realize uh, that their partners are often going through menopause and are getting worsening genitourinary syndrome of menopause where they have dryness and pain. And I know I'm preaching to double whammy. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but men, men like to fix things. And so I can't tell you how many men come to see me and we do an hour long consult and they're really focused on what's going on with them. And after really talking, the problem is that their partner is dry and has pain and low libido, and it's more, much more difficult to engage in intimacy. And so it's really important to um, talk about the whole, to really look at the whole picture, to look at both sides of any couple to say, okay, what do we want sex to look like? Because each patient's going to want something different. You know, um, I think, and and you know what I'm going to say here, but I think one of the big frustrations of people that are listening to this are saying, okay, that's great, but I live in you know, Southern Indiana, and there is not a sexual medicine urologist or gynecologist or expert to be found for, you know, a thousand miles 
what am I supposed to do? Because you're in Washington, D.C. I'm in Chicago. Um, I have, I'm at an institution that has an entire department of sexual medicine neurologists. Um, what is your advice for people who do not have access to an expert such as yourself? Yeah. So I think it's educating yourself is realizing that you have to advocate for yourself sometimes. And sometimes people uh, get second opinions or third opinions or do the research themselves. It's finding um, doctors who really care and who really want to work with you to find, you know, the best treatment options. People fly to the Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic all the time to get second opinions on different things. And if your quality of life and sexual health is important to you, then finding a provider who really gets it and who really wants to work with you. So if you have a cancer doctor uh, who takes out your cancer, but isn't really spending the time talking to you about your sexual health or quality of life, potentially going on websites like the Sexual Medicine Society of North America or SMSNA.org, they have find a provider where you can look in your area to see if there is someone who's chosen to be on that website. Um, again, they're just like, you know, you know, on the female side is the North American Menopause Society website yeah. or the, the ISWISH, I-S-S-W-S-H, which is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. Say that four times fast. They all have find a provider and we are a small community, but, but because of your advocacy and your, um, you're, you're not stopping anytime soon, be, you know, because we have so much work to do. We have so many providers who need, te- who need training. We have so much more work to do, which yeah. is why you stay young uh, because, you know, it, the work is not finished. We have a lot, we have a lot yeah. to do. And I will put those organizations and links in the program notes, because I think one of the many things we have in common is we both tend to talk kind of fast, (laughs) but that's because we have so much to say. We just have to get it all out there. Let's move on to um, Peyronie's because, I mean, come on, who doesn't think about that poor carrot stick that is a little crooked? So is it as common as one would think from all these commercials on TV? And, And what's the deal? You know, it's pretty common, actually. Um, And I will say those commercials, as much as we hate direct-to-consumer ads and things like that, it's been just like erectile dysfunction in the, you know, in the uh, late 90s was so helpful in getting guys to come and talk about it. Those bendy carrots have been incredibly helpful for guys to show up and say, hey, doc, I have the bendy carrot. Uh, I have the carrot disease. I have something going on with my carrot. It gives language that guys can talk about. And so Peyronie's disease is penile curvature. It's not cancer. It doesn't kill you, but it disfigures you to a point of feeling awful. And and it sometimes can be so curved uh, that you cannot penetrate or do with your penis what you want to do with it. It can cause erectile dysfunction. And it's incredibly um, distressing. It's really, really uh, terrible. It can really shorten your penis. It can disfigure it to the point where you don't recognize it. Um, And so um, uh, it is quite common. We don't have the exact number. It can be, you know, I've seen reports as 8% of men can develop Peyronie's at some point in their lives. It's high. It's high. high. It is high. And, and, um, and it, some people are bothered by it. Some people are not. Some people never go to the doctor to, to discuss it. And we do have treatments available, um, uh, uh, conservative treatments, surgical treatments. There's all sorts of treatments out there. None of them are perfect of the magic wand that gets you your 18 year old penis back. Um, And so it is a challenge in, in figuring out what are the best options for patients with Peyronie's disease. I I think 
the thing to remind yourself if you don't have your 18 year old penis is fortunately you also don't have your 18 year old brain. So it's much better to have a wiser brain and a less wise penis, if you will, uh, to make it through life. I do tell patients all the time. I said, well, you don't go to the same restaurants you did when you were 19 and you don't go on the same vacations and you've upgraded so many ways, right? You don't, you know, and so we got to upgrade sex too. And sex, the dance may look different, but don't not show up to the dance, right? Uh, you don't want to stop dancing altogether just because you can't do the, you know, the break dancing that you used to. And so it's figuring out what does that new dance look like? Because your partner may not be able to do the same dances that, that your partner used to. And so it, the dance changes, but we should keep dancing. We should keep having joy and pleasure and, and quality of life because there's no age with which those things are not important. And I think that is a good place to stop because we could go on for hours. And I think the theme really is, is if you have an issue with your penis or with the penis in your bed, and if you haven't been given help, it doesn't mean help isn't there. It just means you need to look a little further. And like you said, you know, when, if you had something life-threatening, you wouldn't think twice about traveling, going to see an expert, figuring it out and it's just about giving priority to, to these quality of life things as well that are not just about feeling good, but it's about relationship, it's about self-esteem. Um, and sometimes a penis that isn't functioning correctly is also a big red flag for another health problem such as diabetes or heart disease. So I'm going to give you a chance to just say anything else that you think we should have covered, didn't cover, want to cover, anything else you'd like to say. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I think that is so true. Um, uh, sexual health is just health. Your quality of life matters. Um, sometimes we are not raised with the words. Uh, we don't learn it in middle school sex ed to say, honey, that move you've been doing for 30 years, it's not working anymore. Uh, <laughs> or, sometimes, ever. or ever. Or hey, a little to the left is sometimes really hard to say. And so um, that doesn't mean it's impossible. That doesn't mean you can't learn new tricks and learn new tools and you deserve it. And uh, seeing someone who will help walk you through it and help get you to understand the biology, the psychology, Psychology, the, the how to communicate about it. Uh, it's hard to do it in a 10 minute doctor visit. It really is. It's, it's super challenging. And so you have to advocate for yourself sometimes. And I'm just so honored to have been on this and, and to, to be here with you today. And I'm so grateful that you had me. Well, Dr. Rachel Rubin, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your expertise. And thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. Fall!